welcome back to the Back in Business podcast. I'm Mickey Clark, business journalist and Back in Business podcaster. And my fellow podcaster this week is Jenny Beish, who is the landlady of the Barley Mo Pub in Maidenhead in Berkshire. We're talking to Toby Perkins, the MP for Chesterfield and chair of the all-party parliamentary group on pubs. Now, it's a slightly different format over the summer. Uh, the business owners get to talk to the MP about pubs in this case, and I get to make sure they don't wander too far off the subject. Usually it's the other way around. But we'll kick off with Jenny. Morning, Jenny. Good morning. Start off as telling us about your business, um, how it works or not works, as the case may be, and, and how badly you've been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. Well, I have a smallish pub in the, the suburbs of Maidenhead. It's in a community area called Cotsgreen. Um, it's a beautiful little pub. We have lots of flowers outside, massive garden, which has been really popular um, since we've reopened. Um, so we can put, we've closed the car park to all the cars and put tables all the way down the car park, nice and socially spaced out. So everyone's feeling very comfortable now they're allowed to come back in, but it's been super, super hard. But it's August now. The sun shines most days. Mm. <laughs> what happens on like last Sunday when it rained? What, what do you do then? Well, we have two big marquees um, that we've had to buy. Uh, we only put the tops on, but it, it keeps 30, 40 people dry in, in two separate locations. And the rest are just inside, but we've got five tables inside, um, which can seat two households or up to six at a table but it's, it, it's smaller numbers than we're used to because we're a pub where they all like to sit at the bar, lean on the bar, <laughs> drink their yeah, drinks. I, I know people like that. Um, you, you Presumably you're a tenant, so you don't own the property. Um, are you still paying rent throughout the closure or is, is, have they let you off that? Yeah, we're a free of tie tenant from EI Group. Uh, we still have to pay rent. The day after we closed, we were landed with a bill on our on the doorstep for eighteen and a half thousand pounds, and yes, we're still paying. But we haven't actually paid it yet. It's been deferred for up to eighteen months, so it's just kicking the can down the road. We're talking today to Toby Perkins, the MP for Chesterfield and chair of the All Party Parliamentary Group on Pubs. Morning, Toby. Toby. Good morning. Thanks, 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 for, thanks joining for joining us. us. Now, it's thanks. been slightly different over the summer for, for many drinkers and indeed pubs. And it's a problem, really, I suppose, for the industry in general, because this is not an industry which has just been savaged by COVID-19. It's had its problems in the run up to that. Um, and indeed, few years ago the whole industry looks as though it was on the verge of going bust so you know this this is just added to the problems it's crystallized everything isn't it really no i, th I think that's uh, a very legitimate question and we've seen a huge difference in the attitude that different uh pub owning businesses and different uh landlords have taken some of them i'd say predominantly the the brewers taken a generous attitude many of them have said uh there is no rent to be paid um, while ever the pub was closed. Um, others have, have deferred the rent. Some have, um, have cancelled some of the rent, deferred others. Um, obviously, uh, you know, one of the dangers of um, being in a free of tie arrangement, as Jenny uh, is, and there's lots of benefits to that, but one of the dangers of that is that you're sometimes dealing with, with some, an organisation that's simply a, a property owner, really understand the pub trade at all. 
Um, but I think in terms of your the, the point that you started the interview with, Mickey, um, it, you're absolutely right. This has been a tough time uh, prior to coronavirus for the whole industry anyway. Uh, and those challenges were absolutely there, even without coronavirus. But to have something that absolutely closed your business for months on end, and then even after you reopen, put lots of limitations in place, both in terms of the, the number of people you're able to have in, in terms of customers' enthusiasm for going to the pub because of their nervousness, um, and, uh, and all of the extra costs that maybe are attached with, uh, with safeguarding your customers, um, and means that it's been incredibly difficult. And whilst I think a lot of um, pub owners are grateful that the, the government um, put in place uh, the grant that they did, uh, it, it is really only uh, a drop in the ocean compared to the losses that many of them have faced. And so, you know, Pub Group is very worried about the number of uh, landlords that we're going to see going under at this time. Jenny, I can see you nodding <laughs> aggressively <laughs> there. Um, there are points there that obviously ring true as far as you're concerned. Oh, 1,000%. I mean, we've, we're, we're with Enterprise Inns and we've just had no support. We, all, we've, all they've said is kick the can down the road, you'll pay us back in you know, over 18 months. Well, it's no back. good, but we've got to pay them and on reduced income. And we've not, we know, you know, we're not back to where we were. We can only have, you know, when it rains, where do they go? They can only get 20 people in the pub. I've always thought, Toby, that being a pub landlord, it gives the impression you're, you're running your own business, you've got lots of freedom, and the success depends on how much work and effort you put into it. But in actual fact, it's got more, more in common with Ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes than anything else. Because, yeah, you've got your own pub, but you're working for somebody else and their costs all come out before you even start to, to draw down and, and pay off the bank manager. And, and that, to me, needs clarifying for a lot of publicans. Well, absolutely. I mean, and there's many different ways in which you can own a pub. And, and I think, you know, we get into a fairly complicated uh, conversation about the different models of pub ownership. You know, in, in some way, if, if you like the freest publican, probably the one who's put most money in. They're the one who owns their own building, uh, has a free house, they don't pay rent to anyone else. Um, and in that case, you are entirely, uh, you know, su succeed or fail on your own merits, notwithstanding global pandemics of the sort that we've seen. You've then got situations like Jenny's where she, she has an agreed rent and, and apart from that, she's free to go out onto the open market and buy beer from whoever she likes. Um, but obviously, when you have a situation where you have no income, you're still very vulnerable. And then you have a, a variety of different tenanted arrangements where the level of freedom that you have, um, down to everything such as the menu that you run, um, is often dictated to you. Um, and you're more like a, a KFC franchisee than, than a, a free um, business person. And, and indeed, um, some organizations like Marston's have actually started calling their pub tenancies franchise franchises because um, it is very much that you are you know you are the, the front man um, or front woman responsible for the organisation but largely uh, the offer is dictated by somebody else so yeah there is um, you know the way that you operate as a pub uh, is is largely dictated on the model that you follow and, and this is one of the areas that the APPG for pubs has been very interested in and we were um, the, the organisation was very uh, enthusiastic about the pubs code being introduced and the free of tie 
uh, option being introduced. Um, and we've been critical of some of the ways in which that, that uh, option in the pre-COVID period um, was being implemented by government um, because we, we do think that there's many publicans that still haven't got the freedom that we envisaged when the Pubs Code was introduced. But the way that the APPG works is we don't have responsibility for policy. Um, we scrutinise the policy of government. We attempt to um, put in, put, you know, bring together a group of MPs who develop a level of expertise on what is a fairly complicated uh, industry, and then then aim to scrutinise and uh, and challenge government um, from a position of, of knowledge and, and strength, really. And, and Jenny, I mean, do you know the freehold value of your pub? Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we had it valued because we, we we put an offer in to try and buy it because through yeah, this pandemic, well, we they're on furlough, so no one no one in the department is around. <laughs> Sounds so about right. I mean, it's I live in the deepest part of Kent. Um, I've got some lovely pubs around here. The biggest brewer we've got is Shepherd Neem, and they've given all their their tenants um, a rent free holiday. They've told them, you know, if you you're not open, we're not going to charge you. You know, I'm not a fan of them. But I think that's a good thing that they've done. They've taken the hit. But a lot of the others, you, you talk to them, Enterprise Punch, um, you know, they're, they're quite happy to carry on charging. And I always upset the British Beer and Pub Association by insisting that they've supported basically a business plan over the years that's bust. You know, the big pub owners are basically property companies. They don't have the first clue about running a pub, um, but they're quite happy to drain everybody as far as get their whack first and then, you know, let the customer and the public can benefit. And I think that's a very short term view. I mean, is that, yeah. is that what you're finding out, Toby? Uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly a question, was it? But uh, <laughs> it, it was, was a, you know, it was a statement. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think if you were to see, you know, much of what I said in, in when I was the shadow uh, small business minister in the run up to the pubs code, I mean, I, I would be making arguments very similar to those. I think that, you know, there are um, I don't want to generalise about the whole industry, but there are definitely providers within the, the industry have been exactly like that. Um, that, you know, when you have a situation where, you know, huge numbers of new entrants to the industry go bust, it can't be simply a bad operator's fault. It must be telling you something about the, the industry model. Uh, I think the pubs code has made some improvements there. I know some people would disagree with that, but I think it has made some improvements. And I think it has given some publicans like Jenny, the option to say, well, if your offer isn't good enough, we're going to go elsewhere. Um, but uh, still at the same time, uh, there's been far, there's been people who have been in the industry that at the time when the industry has suffered, they've carried on uh, making money while seeing many of the people who are working for them as tenants go in bust. And, and that can't be a business model that's tolerable. I mean, we started, when we started, obviously we were, we were a tied model and we just could not make any money. We were, we, we both had, both me and my partner had other jobs to try and pay the VAT at the end of the of the quarter. It was just, just not feasible. It wasn't working. Who were you with, Jenny? EI. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'd be interested. Apologies for taking over the interviewer's role with Mickey, but I'd, I'd be really interested. <laughs> Uh, if you could just tell me what your experience was, Jenny, when you approached EI about going uh, free of tie and how you found that process. Oh, the process was very frustrating. It took two and a half, almost, almost two years, 11 months, I think, to actually get through the pub code. 
They made appeal after appeal, which then took another eight months for the pub's code adjudicator to actually make a decision. They said we, we weren't valid, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. It was just, there was no recompense for the delay. They just got away with another, another eight months, another eight months, and we just lost so much money. Yeah, and they are your building owner still, are they? Unfortunately, yes. We, yeah. we have put an offer in to try and buy it, but they haven't yeah. um, come back yet. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that has been very much the experience that, you know, and Jenny, if you like, one of the ones that's actually come through this process and gone free of tie. But many uh, publicans have attempted to do this and found, you know, and often when a publican attempts to go free of tie, it's because they're struggling to make ends meet. They haven't often got two and a half years to go through this process and uh, see if they come out the other side. They're desperately saying, we want to go free of tie because we think this model isn't working for us. And if the pub-owning business delays and, and challenges and uh, puts uh, obfuscates, then, then often the publican will go bust in the meantime. Uh, and then the, the pub-owning business get, sticks with the model they want. And the reason they want the model is that the way that they make their money is by overcharging for the beer. And so, you know, it's, it's often the what they want is to have this tied arrangement where they really control every point that you sell they have all the data and information that's there um uh, and uh, as you were saying earlier mickey it doesn't give publicans a lot of freedom at all so no, it's, it's, um, it's not working for yourself is it it's working for someone no. else no and, that's and, right you've got a manager turning up every wednesday telling you what to do you know and, he and that may be why you do and that might be why the, the um that we've had no support because free of, whereas the tide pubs have had some support on reopening they've had sort of 80 percent off and then you know every month they're paying a little bit more but they started at a fairly low value but the free of tide pubs have been charged flat out full rent hopefully maybe they're hoping we'll go bust and they can take the pub back into the tide model i mean I've, well, I've i think the mind there might be an element of that. I think what we what we what it's really important to understand is that the the free of tie business, the pub companies never wanted that anyway. You know, they, it was something they were forced into, and they were very clear that you know if you go rent only, then that's what it is. It's rent only. You know, it's not a relationship we want to have with you. Um, but if you're going to force us into that, then that's what it is. I, and I'm not surprised, therefore, that the attitude they take is. It says rent only on the ticket, and that's what you you do. You pay as the rent, and uh, you know it, it's sort of unsurprising that they take that sort of approach. And maybe what they want is for you to pick up the phone and say, "Well, can we come back?" And uh, you know maybe go back onto a deal because I think you know uh, that that's the sort of approach that they have taken. Are there any numbers, Tony, Toby, to suggest how many companies or how many pubs and pub owners have gone? free of tie since those there was those orders were introduced because i get the impression it's a very very small number it is a relatively small number and it's a it's a very small proportion of those that originally raised it i mean i'm not up to date in terms of what it is now but certainly sort of two years in um it was a few it was in the sort of two or three hundreds um out of uh, applications of, of several thousand so it was less than 10 percent of those who'd originally take, shown an interest in it that had ended up doing that. I think there's also, I mean, there's a huge amount of, of statistics that the companies keep very close to the chest. But in terms of how many of those um, pub, uh, publicans that attempted to go free of time and actually went bust in the interim 
so that, so that they ended up neither going free of tide nor continuing to operate uh, as a tide model. I think that'd be very interesting to know because I suspect there'd be quite a large number of them. Um, but uh, how much that has has moved on over the course of the last eight to nine months, I'm not certain, but I would I would think that it's relatively small numbers. I looked at um, the price of some pubs to take them freehold uh, last year with a, with a friend of mine who's, who's a property expert, and the average price I would say around here is anything from six to eight hundred thousand pounds. Now the Plunkett Foundation are offering grants of up to a hundred thousand, which to me is is nice, but it it ain't going to go anywhere near um, giving you the control of the pub. Um, and I, I just, you know, the, the one in the village, the villagers bought by issuing shares, but that took two years and probably a lot of hard work. They raised £300,000 in the end, which is a big discount to anywhere else. Um, and I'm surprised that they've made it work so far based on the amount of communication between the village and the tenant. So I think there's a lot more... You know, leeway for the tenant than there would be if they were taking over an enterprise pub or a punch pub or one of those others. Um, but not everyone is doing that, are they? They're still milking the system for what it is. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, where, where there is a, a sort of a fair, you know, an element of fair comment from the pub companies is that only if, you, if you've got, you know, a, a fairly reasonable size pub in a nice south in, you know, southern England village, I mean, it is worth quite a lot of money. Um, and one of the things that the pub companies are saying is that we are making pub ownership and running your own business affordable for people who haven't got six to 800,000 quid. And, and, you know, so when you sort of, to an extent, we can't have it both ways. If we're on the one hand complaining that being free of tyres is too expensive for an ordinary person to run, and on the other hand, complaining that if they have all of that cost, that it, it's difficult for us to make uh, a living, then then sort of we're, we're asking for it both ways. I think that, um, you know, it, what is sort of maybe unreasonable is is the way that sometimes these company, you know, the model that the pub companies sell is you're getting a discounted rent uh, and that as a result, you are going to pay sense. over the top on your beer. Um, but what ends up happening is they... they People have, have considered that the rents have ended up maybe being generous at first, but then after the second year, third year renewal, the rents going up and up and up, um, and they get to the point where they're paying actually a market rent, and at the same time, they're paying way over the top for their beer, and they've got a wholesaler approaching them every week saying you could be having Doom Bar for one pound eighty, one pound forty, and you're paying two pound twenty or whatever, uh, and and that's where uh, where they feel like they, they're getting ripped off. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's brewers like Harvey's in Sussex, which won't give discounts to, to publicans, and so they, they don't use it. It's, as simple as, it's too costly. Yeah. Um, but you're quite right. Others, you see the same brews in different pubs time and time again, because that's what's on offer, and that's what you've got to choose from. I mean, Jenny, you, you don't do food, do you? So you've not been benefiting from this eat-out-to-help-out scheme, which... I mean, everyone seems to accept it. It's a wonderful thing. Do, do, is that your view? Personally, no, because all, all it's done for us is made us quieter Monday to Monday to Wednesday. 
Which um, is exactly what every publican has said to me and restaurant owner. Yeah, it's Monday, just no Tuesday, good. and Wednesday is the new weekend. Yeah. No one's bothering about Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. No, it, it's it's been very it, you know it, it's not compensating either. It's it's sort of really busy. I know a lot of my friends in the in the industry. They're really busy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're dead. Nobody in Thursday. A couple in Friday, and on Saturday night they're sitting there with four people in the pub. Yeah, I mean. You can't I, run I a love, pub like that. I love the pubs, uh, especially the local ones, because they're the hub. We always talk about this. They are the hub of the community. But I was, I'll name the pub. It's, it was the Old Mermaid in Whitstable. It's on the beach. And I was queuing up there one hot day a few weeks ago. And I thought to myself, it was terribly well run. They put a lot of extra staff on, but everyone was on the beach. And I thought, that's fine on a sunny day like today. Come October and November, you ain't going to be able to do that. Um, you know, and if there's still a restriction of 30, the income of these pubs is going to go down, down the swanee yeah. very rapidly. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I think, I think that Jenny's hit upon a really important point, which is that the pubs that are most vulnerable um, at this moment in time are those that, that are what we'd call wet-led, those who are predominantly uh, make money from beer rather than from the food, because they're the ones who need to pack the punters in. And so the social distancing was always going to be harder for them. And so to have a scheme that helps the ones that are doing food that are probably, you know, in a tough time, in a slightly better position than the, than the wet pole, wet lead poles, um, but not have anything for those wet lead poles, I, I think was a, a real shame. Now, you know, there's been much I've been critical of the, for this government. Um, I think you could question whether the out to help out was the best use of the money. But it has worked. You know, it has for those pubs that have got food, the... And restaurants, cafes, they are seeing good numbers of people coming in. So I don't I don't criticise that. But I do think there had to be something there for the wet lead pubs because they're the ones that are really are under threat at this moment, from my perspective. Totally agree. We've had no support from, like that. You know, even the, the, the cut in the beer duty or, protect, you know, the 5% extended to alcohol with the VAT would have helped us, but we've had no help. Yeah, and I think, I think government take this attitude, Mickey, sometimes, that... You know, well, we don't want to encourage drinking. We don't want to encourage alcohol. Um, you know, my view has always been the pub is the safest place for anyone to be drinking. You know, you've got a landlord there. If someone's getting and drinking in dangerous quantities, landlord can say, no, I think you've had enough and, and send them home. You know, where, where most problem drinking happens is in people's own homes and, and where, um, where there isn't anyone keeping a watch uh, out for them. So, you know, we shouldn't be uh, be sort of bashful about saying drinking in moderation in pubs is a very healthy and, and uh, good thing, not only for the community and for our sort of mental health, but also um, it's, it's saving and, and supporting a lot of jobs and generating tax revenues. We the government should be right behind that, not uh, trying to uh, suggest it's some kind of dirty secret. And so, you know, I, I absolutely agree with, with what Jenny's saying, that, you know, if you're going to reduce VAT, uh, on tourism, then then do it for the pubs as well. In particular, support those wet lead pubs, that are the ones that are struggling most of all. Particularly, of course, if people are having staycations now, they'll be using pubs in this country rather well, than spending good. their money abroad. So a bit of encouragement there. And as for the, you know, we don't want people drinking too much. I mean, that's an argument David Lloyd George put forward. How many years ago? It was over 100 years ago. <laughs> and we're still having that conversation. Yeah, but, I before mean, my time he was. Oh, and he was a lovely lad. He liked to pint as well. Um, I, th I think part of the problem is, A, that we've talked about the structuring of the pub industry and the taxing of it. But the other thing, of course, is cost. Um, we've, we've mentioned rents. Um, 
but also, we haven't mentioned staffing. And a lot of publicans have made the, the point to me that if if they open on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they don't open Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday because straight away they'd have to bring more staff in. That ratchets up the cost. And if they're not filling the pub up, then the income's not coming through the front door. And therefore, your costs get bigger, your income drops off, and you're in all sorts of mess. So a lot of them are staying shut through much of the week and then opening up to take advantage of the weekend. And it's that balance between cost and revenue that is more crucial now than it's ever been. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, Jenny will know this better than, than anyone. I think, you know, ultimately, and this is one of the points I've made with the uh, pub owning businesses, um, is that, you know, if you if you have a, a situation where the amount it costs you to run a business is more than the amount you're bringing in, then you haven't got a business model. You, you know, you potentially you've got a community organisation that's providing value for the community, but it's not making a profit. It's not a business, is it? You haven't got a viable business. Uh, and, and that whole package, whether it be taxation, whether it be uh, wage levels, minimum wage, whether it be the cost that you're paying for your beer to the pub companies and all the rest of it, the package has to be enough for someone to make a profit at the end of it. And we know that culturally things have changed. Now I've got a 22-year-old and, and uh, uh, you know, they don't go to the pub nearly as much as sort of my generation did in, in the 20s. They, they do have different uh, different uh, hobby, uh, hobbies and we've got far more on offer on, you know, in terms of things for them to do at home than there ever was in, in our day. So, so to an extent, the, the whole situation is changing. Um, and pub, going to the pub has to be an affordable thing to do and, and government and pub owning businesses have to realise that. I mean, if, if we made a magic wand and made you Chancellor, Toby, would you be comfortable in putting up revenues? Because, I don't know, go back 10 years, every Chancellor who stood up always put up beer, backy and, and uh, you know, the, the spirits. And, and now you, you look and you think, I don't know if this market can stand that. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I wouldn't uh, seek to, to teach my uh, esteemed colleague, Annalise Dodds, the shadow chancellor, how to do a job. Um, but in, in to, so approaching the general point without being quite specific on what I'd do differently, I think that there is a, a real argument for saying we have to, you know, we all want pubs to, to succeed and thrive. Taxation is a part of that, but legislation and the model that they're operating under is also a part of that. We can't have a situation where, um, where where publicans are going bust, but the companies are making uh, billions of pounds of profit, uh, and then say the problem is tax. Um, in, in, that, you know, some of these cases, the poor businesses are making billions of pounds of profit, and there's there's more complicated reasons behind that. I think you know something that I'm very attracted to personally is the idea of uh, a different taxation system based on whether something is sold as a sealed unit or, or as an open product. And, and what this um, would mean is you would reduce beer duty. You would instead have something along the lines of a lid levy where there's a, a point of sale levy if, if the supermarkets are selling you a can. Um, and it means that it actually tax burden on a pub is less than the tax burden on supermarkets and gets away from this situation where people can get tanked up based on alcohol they've, uh, they've bought in the supermarket and then go to the pub for the last drink uh, when they've already been in drinking most of the day. Um, and uh, I think that there's, you know, doing more to support the hospitality trade, whether it be through reduction in VAT, whether it be through uh, some kind of levy of that sort, 
and a reduction in, uh, in, in overall alcohol duty is something that, that still has tremendous merit. Now, um, you know, that isn't the, the, the uh, policy of the party. You know, it's, it's something we've sort of looked at and considered in the past. And I think it's an idea that needs further investigation in the future. What do you make of that, Jenny? I mean, presumably you'd be in favour of a tax cut, um, even a partial one. Absolutely. Would it work? Would it encourage people into a wet pub? I think it would. I mean, I th we do desperately need some help to get get people back in the pub. Um, and, and if we had, a, obviously, if we could lower our prices a little bit and, and people would be coming in. But it obviously, with the social, you know, socially distanced, the COVID secure bubble all around it, it's, it's going to need some good help. Because a lot of, lot of landlords are struggling and they'll, you know, they, any, any help is better than a slap in the face that we're getting at the moment. And, and Toby, a, a last word from you, really. I mean, how would you like to see the pub industry structured going forward after COVID? I mean, we don't know how long it's going to last, but it, it needs a better structure than it's got at the moment. It does. I mean, I think that, you know, we've got a new pubs code adjudicator uh, on the way, hopefully. Um, we uh, need the pub code to work so that there is a process so that people can have real confidence that if they approach... Um, their uh, pub owning business that they will be treated fairly that they will um, get uh, that there'll be a strong sense of what is a serious reasonable market rent for this pub um, and let's give landlords the option of going free of tie or hopefully getting a better offer to stay tied to the pub through their landlord because um, it's a process that they can afford to go through so I think that that's an area of real importance I think that in terms of taxation um, then, then government uh, need, have, have made a start on business rates. Um, I think they also need to look at um, the business rate burden on big pubs because they had a, a, an approach that um, you know small pubs got the business rate holiday, bigger pubs didn't. But those bigger pubs have also um, got many costs attached. And just because you're a bigger pub doesn't mean you're necessarily a profitable one. So I think they all should should have got that. Um, and I think going forward, there does need to be a look at. Um, the whole burden of taxation on hospitality to try and support uh, the industry uh, a bit more going forward. Um, but we also need to ensure that pub owning businesses are acting in a fair way and the way that you know, many of the family brewers have operated, as you referred to, Shepherd Neem, you know, that rent holiday. Uh, I would urge the industry to do that more generally because, you know, if you are on a pub in a pub that um, has, has been living pretty hand to mouth even in advance of COVID, uh, then just saying, well, you've got 18 months to pay us the, the rent arrears that you built up over the five months that you were completely shut. And the next four or five months when you're operating under social distancing, is just delaying your bankruptcy. It really is. And so uh, I think there needs to be uh, a more um, sensible approach taken, particularly to those months when they were closed. OK, Jenny, you're, you're at the sharp end of things. Unlike me and Toby, we're just people who go and enjoy pubs. Knock yourself out. Ask him whatever it is you want to ask him. Go on, get it off your chest. Well, I think what I what I really need, or the, the industry needs, is the pubs code to be com, com, the, the review to be completed, published. We need an effective pubs code adjudicator to actually make these pub companies be accountable for their actions, and that pubs just take that opportunity to go free of tie and to break the tie that we're struggling to. Uh, but make anything, any make, make any money from. Do you think that's possible, Toby, in the near future? Yeah, absolutely, it's possible. It just requires 
uh, government to have the will. We've got Paul Scully um, coming to uh, address us and take questions from MPs uh, on the 24th of September um, on the uh, performance of the pub code, and, and we'll certainly be asking for that. We made representations to uh, the government when they were doing the pub's code review. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got a situation with the pub's code that it's a policy the government introduced that they didn't really want to. It was brought through by backbench MPs, uh, including, uh, you know, not of Tory and Lib Dem MPs at the time who were the government, um, rebelling and, and bringing this policy through. So you've got the government introducing a policy that they never agreed to in the first place. And I think it's always felt a bit like that in terms of their operation. They've now got this policy and they should um, really put some, some uh, lustre behind it. Uh, and try and ensure that the pub code adjudicator uh, is willing to ruffle a few feathers and make sure that, that we get justice for the whole industry. Okay, Toby, many thanks. I could talk all day about this, as you can imagine. Me too. But, uh, yeah. Toby Perkins there, the MP for Chesterfield and chair of the all-party parliamentary group on pubs. Sounds a great job. Very much, yes. And very good, uh, very well done, Jenny. Great to work with you. Thank and you. let's hope it goes well. I'll come down to your pub and have a pint one day. Please do.